This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review, heard every Sunday at noon on Zoomer Radio. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, a new vision of aging. Support CARP with your membership today. Visit carp.ca. Good afternoon and welcome to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Libby Snymer. It's beginning to look a lot like the holidays, the season. Why are so many people reluctant to use the word Christmas? We'll delve into this political correctness. And we hear them on Zoomer Radio all the time, Christmas songs. We're playing them right now, 24-7. But did you know that many of these Christmas tunes were written by Jewish composers? We'll talk about that in a few moments. But first, here are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. He was known as Canada's dad, playing the role of Jason Seaver in the popular 1980s sitcom Growing Pains. Alan Thicke passed away this week at the age of 69. Beyond acting, he wrote the theme songs to many 1980s TV shows like Different Strokes and Facts of Life. Thicke was playing hockey with his son when he suffered a heart attack and died in hospital. Michael Bublé's son will get to spend Christmas at home. I'll be home for Christmas. Three-year-old Noah has just finished the first stage of cancer treatment. The Canadian crooner, his wife, and their son are expected to spend the holidays in Los Angeles, where Noah is being treated, instead of Vancouver, where they usually celebrate. We all know people who lie about their age, but you'd think there comes a point when there is no point. And you'd think Adele Dunlop would be proud to celebrate her birthday as the oldest woman in the U.S. But after receiving balloons and a joyous happy birthday to mark her 114th this week, she told the staff at her New Jersey nursing home it was only her 105th. But they didn't believe her. Dunlap's nurses and family say she often shaves a decade off her age. Sir Elton may have taken a pass, but this guy isn't. Andrea Bocelli has agreed to perform at Donald Trump's inauguration next month in Washington, D.C. Trump is said to be a fan of the 58-year-old tenor and has attended some of his concerts over the years. The inauguration has been a difficult ticket to fill, with many, including Elton John, saying thanks, but no thanks, to the president-elect's invitation. I'm Libby Snymer, and those are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. Merry Christmas. There. That wasn't so hard, was it? Saying Merry Christmas is apparently very difficult for some people who are afraid of offending others. 
But for many, not saying Merry Christmas is an affront to their culture and faith. It's what has a lot of people upset with Justin Trudeau, who held a holiday party in Ottawa while omitting any reference to the actual holiday. I chatted with David Menzies of The Rebel TV about the war on Christmas. I think there's been a war for maybe a couple of decades, and it's a, it's a war that's been declared uh, on Christmas, uh, not necessarily by people who aren't Christian, but I, I think by non-practicing Christians who are just so politically correct, so terrified not to offend those who aren't going to be offended. Uh, Anyways, I mean, Libby, I have never come across in my circle of friends and acquaintances uh, anyone who is Muslim, Jewish, Sikh, Buddhist, you name it, who has a problem with being wished Merry Christmas around Christmas time. I mean, what else are you supposed to say? So I think this is a self-imposed philosophy of self-censorship in which there are no victims out there to offend in the first place. I also have never encountered anyone who takes offense when somebody wishes them a Merry Christmas. This week, the Prime Minister Justin Trudeau had a big holiday party No mention of Christmas. You know, it's so funny, uh, Libby. There's a few few factors here. First of all, you know, if people look into the origin of the word holiday, it's basically a contraction of holy day. So when you say holiday, if that's to get rid of any kind of religious context, well, actually, the the root genesis of that word uh, is very religious. But it, you know, on a couple of other points, Libby, I find it really, you know, perversely amusing that, you know, the prime minister can't bring himself to say the C word at Christmas time yet. When it comes to him going to some of his favorite radicalized mosques, such as the one in Montreal, the one in Mississauga that he's visited around Ramadan, well, not only does he have any trouble saying the word Ramadan, but he'll actually get down there on the floor and take part in prayer sessions. So there's a real disconnect here. What about Christians who are offended by the absence of Christmas in Christmas? Well, you know, Hmm. (laughs) what is an offended Christian going to do? Write a letter to the editor? (laughs) I, I would say to take a more proactive response, like with those retailers, if you, you know, find out the ones that are using the word, patronize them, and tell the person at the counter, or write a letter to, you know, the chief executive, and say, you know what, I applaud you for using this word, and this is the reason why you got my business, and I'll tell you, that will really resonate. But what do you think people who are feeling, who are annoyed by this? Well, I think if you are a devout Christian, you probably don't care what others are are doing or saying or censoring, uh, Libby. I think, you know, you embrace the holiday for what it is, and, you know, it it has deep resonance for you, and it doesn't really matter. And and, and I I think that's how most Christians would look upon this. I I don't think We heard today, sorry, we heard today from a lot of people who are really annoyed by this. Oh, sure. Uh, They're annoyed. And with justification, I I, I would argue, because of the double standard out there, and I've given you a few examples. But I think there is a trend right now 
Um, I, I gave you the example of four retailers using, you know, the, the C word again in their advertising and their store signage. But um, even with people saying Merry Christmas as opposed to, you know, that vapid and vacuous happy holidays. I mean, when people say to me, how was your holiday? I, I say, what, did I book passage to the Barbados or something <laughs> last weekend? It, it just sounds so ridiculous to me that you can't say Christmas at Christmas time, especially when, let's face it, Libby, if, if it was anyone of any other faith um, celebrating their holiday, I mean, if a Muslim was celebrating Ramadan, would we beat around the bush? Would we walk on eggshells and would we say things like, during this special time of the year for you? No, we'd say happy Ramadan, right? So, And apparently Prime Minister Trudeau tweeted out happy Hanukkah. There you go. And, and, and that's another thing, you know, when it comes to the argument, you know, the liberals and the progressives give for Christmas, it's always, it always comes down to, well, you know what, we want to be inclusive. You know, we don't want to exclude people at this time of year. And there are other holidays. There's Hanukkah, you know, that the, the Jewish people celebrate, and there's Kwanzaa. Well, Libby, as you well know, uh, Hanukkah is a B-list Jewish holiday. I mean, it is not Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, or Passover. Those are the big three. And I think there's almost a Christian conceit, if you will, that because Hanukkah falls around Christmas time, usually, that therefore that must be the most important uh, holiday in the Jewish calendar when it clearly is not. So uh, is the tide turning on this example of political correctness? I think it is. I think, you know, with the examples I gave and with, and this is purely anecdotal, I, I see people saying Merry Christmas more often. And I got to tell you, uh, Libby, I mean, I've never come across anyone in any faith group who's ever been offended by the utterance of that phrase. And I've even asked them, and they said, well, why would we be offended? So, you know, again, you know, it's kind of like when you see um, people rebranding Halloween, if you will, as Black and Orange Day and saying, you know what, we want to be culturally sensitive no one's offended. And if they are offended, you know, that's maybe a fringe of the population. And maybe, how about this, they deal with it as opposed to everybody else changing how we live and how we celebrate. Okay. Dave Menzies, thanks so much for that. (laughs) And uh, Merry Christmas. Well, a Merry Christmas and a Happy Hanukkah to you there, Libby. Thanks. Bye-bye. Okay. You take care. Bye-bye. I'm Libby Snymer, and this is the Zoomer Week in Review. We'll take a quick break and then return with a look at a little-known piece of holiday history, how many of our favorite Christmas carols were written by members of the Jewish community. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, a new vision of aging. Support CARP with your membership today. Visit carp.ca. Who doesn't know all the words to classic Christmas songs like White Christmas, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, Winter Wonderland, or Let It Snow? But who knew that these songs have one thing in common? They were all written by Jewish composers. Jordan Clapman is a Toronto-based pianist and music lecturer who's fascinated by this historical quirk, and he joined me to tell us a little more about it. Jordan, you've tracked down a very interesting phenomenon that many people probably aren't aware of, but a huge proportion of the most popular Christmas songs were written by Jewish composers. Tell us about that. That's correct. 
At least 15 of the top 25 secular Christmas songs of all time were written by certifiably Jewish composers. It's an amazing phenomenon. What are some of those songs? They're almost all of the biggies. Everything from White Christmas to Winter Wonderland, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, Holly Jolly Christmas, Rockin' Around the Christmas Tree, The Christmas Song. It, it, it's an amazing list. Wow. Okay, so let's get to the reason. So why, why is it? It's, it's a little strange when you think about it. Well, it is and it isn't. It makes perfect sense when you hear the story. Um, if you go back a few years, between 1880 and 1910, about 2 million Eastern European Jews emigrated from Tsarist Russia and Poland. And the vast majority of them tried to come to North America, and millions of them did make it to Ellis Island and to New York. And as a result, there were 2 million Jews living on the island of, of Manhattan by 1914. And they were crammed into a very tight and very, very small area, primarily the, the Lower East Side. The Lower East Side. That's right. They wanted to better their, themselves and the lives of their children. And the only way they could do this was by getting into industries where they had some kind of leverage. And the only industries they could get into that weren't controlled by a predominantly WASP establishment were the popular entertainment industries, which were considered undignified. And as a result of that, you have all of these Jewish kids and sometimes their parents moving uptown to what became the epicenter of the American popular entertainment industry. Vaudeville, uh, the Broadway musicals, the Broadway theater, and the uh, Tin Pan Alley songwriting factories. And that's where they were able to get a foot in the door. But why Christmas? Because they would write songs they would, on any subject. And one of the largest demands in the mainstream market, because in order to make a really good living, you had to sell a mainstream song and not something marketed just to one particular ethnic group, they were called upon to write songs for Christmas, which was the big, big um, market. Now, if you look at some of those songs, or most of those songs, they, they don't have any mention of Jesus Christ or anything more religious. No. Did that escape? sort of the mainstream audience's notice? or No, actually, it's kind of a chicken and egg thing. Uh, as, as the North American cultural experience became more and more secular and religion became less and less important in the mainstream, the reindeer and the snowmen and the Santas and, and all the Coca-Cola imagery and all of that other American pop culture influence became stronger and stronger. And as a result, there was less and less religious influence in the popular music, and there were less and less songs that were selling copies. And unfortunately, it really was a business decision. And more and more that were appealing more to a secular audience that seemed to capture what people wanted. And there weren't really any new hymns and carols really that became huge hits the way these popular songs were. Do you draw any conclusion from all of this? I think that the reason that the Jews got involved in writing the Christmas songs was because these songs appeal to very universal values. And all of the, all of the winter holidays, whether they be Diwali or whether they be uh, 
Eid al-Fatir or Chinese New Year, they all have very, very common traditions. They're, they're all about candles and light and little packets of money and sweets and comfort and family. And these are universal values. And it has nothing to do with where the holiday uh, originated. They're all values that appeal to everyone. And I think the Jews realized that when they were writing these Christmas songs. And I think anyone who writes a Christmas song now that isn't parochial is going to have a much better chance of making more people feel included in what is now a very multicultural world in North America. Okay, that's a good note to end things on. And uh, happy holiday season, Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah, all of the above. Thank you. That was Jordan Clapman, a Toronto-based pianist and music lecturer, on Christmas songs written by Jewish composers. I'm Libby Snymer, and this is the Zoomer Week in Review. When we return, we'll hear about a Yid life crisis. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, a new vision of aging. Support CARP with your membership today. Visit carp.ca. Welcome back to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Libby Snymer. It's time for your international arts datebook tips for those of you who are jetting around the world. Here's Jane Brown. After a 112-year absence, Puccini's Madama Butterfly has returned to La Scala in Milan. Unlike the 1904 production, which was greeted with hisses, Madama Butterfly earned a 13-minute standing ovation as La Scala opened its new season. For the first time ever, London's National Gallery is hosting a 41-painting exhibit that focuses solely on Australian Impressionists, representing the impact European Impressionism had on Australian painting in the late 1800s. In New York, Academy Award-nominated actress and writer Nia Vardalos from My Big Fat Greek Wedding is starring in Tiny Beautiful Things. The Winnipeg native plays Sugar, an online advice columnist who dishes out wisdom to thousands of people. Tiny Beautiful Things runs through December 31st at New York's Public Theater. And for the traveling bibliophile, next time you're in Zurich, Switzerland, check out the Wine Library at the B2 Boutique Hotel and Spa, where you can browse some 33,000 books while sipping a nice Chardonnay. I'm Jane Brown, and that's the International Arts Book. We've all heard of a midlife crisis, but what exactly is a yidlife crisis? Well, it's a Yiddish comedy web series created by Montreal writers Ellie Battalion and Jamie Elman wanting to celebrate their Yiddish upbringing while making it inclusive through comedy. And they've performed all over the globe, including here at Idea City, and collaborated with celebrities like Howie Mandel and Maim Bialik. Their latest offering, a parody of the old-fashioned holiday album, is especially timely with Christmas and Hanukkah falling at the exact same time this year. Here is Merry Crisis, Makkah, the Yidlife Crisis Guide to the Holiday Classics. Jamie and Ellie here from Yidlife Crisis. As you can see, we're getting into the old jewel-tied spirit. <laughs> but this year's special. This year, Christmas and Hanukkah fall on the very same day. Which means it's all the more reason for us to come together. And nothing brings people together more than music. With that in mind, we present you with the Yidlife Crisis Guide to the Holiday Classics. It's the Yidlife Crisis Guide to the Holiday Classics, featuring 20 timeless favorites such as Yingle Bells. 
schnibberen Schnee schlitten mit dem Pferd. Fährt der Flint vorbei, ist so ein Regendreh. Oh, klingen Little drummer boy check. Christmas songs written by Jews. Oh, the leaders will sich mehr brechen. Und sie haben schon vermacht die Geschäften. Als jeden haben ist gut zu gehen. Rosa Schnee, Rosa Schnee, Rosa Schnee. Ich kollen von a weißen Nittel. Punkt wie die Tag was grob gekennt. Oh god, they drink this track! We're, we're, I, we're in the I, middle I, I of. Mein Lenbrot, mein Eifen, Prepechik. Jankov Kross, Beistel, Gudino. Antisemit. That's just a taste of what's online. You'll have to check it out at yidlifecrisis.com. And that brings us to the end of this week's edition of the Zoomer Week in Review. I'm Libby Snymer. Thanks for joining me today. Next Sunday is Christmas Day, and we'll celebrate with all music. The Zoomer Week in Review returns in 2017. You've been listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, produced by MZ Media Limited. Executive producer, Moses Snymer. Produced by Dave Woodard, Paul Thomas, and Andre Lowy. This has been an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review, heard every Sunday at noon on Zoomer Radio. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.